Thanks for downloading the Marcus Pie podcast. Welcome to the Marcus Pie podcast on historicracingnews.com. This episode brought to you by lemoncoupes.com. Visit lemoncoupes.com to see the range of iconic sports and race cars manufactured with the original designs of the 1960s. Well, I'm on location here today and uh, it's difficult to describe where we are because it's a cross between uh, a toy shop, a dream garage and a film set and uh, it's the domain of Julius Thurgood who runs the Historic Racing Drivers Club. Julius, um, it's an amazing place you have here, hidden away nicely, um, but it kind of encapsulates everything you do doesn't it 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 brings an element of fun uh, of motorsport and with a great eye to design as well and it's all about the spirit in which you present your uh, your racing very much so it's it's my it's my emporium um but um obviously a lot of uh, competitors and um friends and customers come here um i do sell the odd race car here um, and I do a lot of my design work here, and we also do design builds here. So it's a it's a big space, but we like to keep it in period and in character. Well, it's absolutely fantastic, and it it just really evokes so many memories. And all of your uh, your ethos really is about bringing back the the fun uh, and the enjoyment that club racers had. Uh, in the past, and I'm going back to the sort of 50s and 1960s era in which I grew up. And um, that's why I think so many people get emotionally attached to the, uh, to the racing that, uh, that, that you do, because it does turn back time most beautifully. Well, yes, I, I can sort of say that I, I grew up in motorsport when friends literally used to take their D-types on trailers to race meetings and some of them didn't even have trailers so um, I was very lucky these cars weren't worth a lot of money they were just used because the people loved them and uh, that atmosphere in the in the paddocks where everybody was helping um, each other um, um, you know we used to club in for each other's fuel and it crazy things you know and if somebody was in trouble we'd all go and try and get that car running and um, that ethos of comrade, uh, comrades and friends, and even if you didn't know somebody, you always try to help, um, that, that really stuck with me. And then I went through that world of championships and people being very sterile and uh, not wanting to help each other. In fact, do the absolute opposite. And I, you know, I went through the school of hard knocks you know with sort of jerry marshall and barry williams and blan frank here and got knocked about quite a lot <laughs> so when i got into uh historic race promotion i i just knocked it back a decade or two so you went through that what we refer to as uh, university of life qualifications and um and and turned it back it is fantastic and uh, a lot of what you do is very design led isn't it you put out a prodigious amount of uh, of supporting uh, literature for your uh, for, for your races and your meetings uh, it's almost beautifully done uh, and and so well considered because it with every step it just gives another strata um, of history 
um, of, uh, of characterful racing, which is uh, so missing elsewhere. Well, I was talking to a sponsor uh, only, th- only this week, and um, he berated me for what I did. He said, um, how much are you spending on all this artwork and newsletters? And I told him, and he said, that's absolutely ridiculous. We live in a digital world. And I said, yes, but they're not digital hooks on the back of digital loos where you can hang your digital um, n- newsletter to, to read in your own quiet com- uh, contemplation. And um, my first newsletter um, was slightly thwarted because I asked the printer to punch a hole in the top left-hand corner in order to take a hook. And um, I found that by engaging people through the post they it's going back to a completely different theory that my competitors I hope actually look forward to the postman coming an HRDC newsletter drops on the on the mat they can open it they can read it there and then or read it later the digital world doesn't allow you to do that no that's right and it's what's interesting is of course you're your competitors come from a broad church of people. Um, the people who've come back to motorsport, having been uh, competitors in the 60s and 70s. Um, and so they immediately identify with uh, this kind of promotion. But also some of the younger guys who are doing it, and they're guys, in their sort of guys and girls in their sort of 20s who are uh, coming out and playing, um, for them it's something very, very new and something incredibly different from today's very immediate world. I think it engages them into the sport. They sort of understand it. I now get people coming up to me during events, you know, young racers or maybe in another race completely. Um, we might be at a modern meeting, if you know what, being the historic content. And they go, these stickers you've got on the cars, they're fantastic. Can I have one? And I know you're a great collector. I'm a Mad King yeah, sticker yeah, fan, always have been. Um, and we... We do various series of uh, of decals and and stuff very much in an old school um, way, and uh, we distribute more uh, throughout the paddock uh, than they're on the cars, and that is people just coming up, just being interested. They want something tactile. They want something. They they want to be involved, and it's it's a sort of lead in to a discussion about. What are you doing with these old cars? Why do you race them? How can you race them? Why aren't you on slick tires? You know what? What are these strange things you've got on your wheels? You know, you know, lovely old CR sixty fives, and it it starts it starts a conversation, and we find that more and more younger people are coming to us, and are getting really interested in cars that even their parents didn't have. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it, it, what it does is it, it takes them back away from this very, very serious nature of modern motorsport, yeah. which is inaccessible to most of them. Totally. Um, even if, even if uh, a young guy or girl comes out of three, maybe through karting, into circuit racing, they're limited so much by what their parents can afford to spend. And if their parents can't afford to take them through uh, a six-figure a year, a hundred thousand pound a year plus junior formula. They're not going to get on. They're not going to reach Formula One, whatever else. So at that point, as I've said to many people in my journalistic career, going back more than forty years, take a step back. Actually, what do you want out of this? You're not going to become a professional driver. You want to have fun. You want to have fun with your friends. You want to have fun with your family. 
And that's what we see in an HRDC paddock. We have people coming along with their mates. We have people coming along with their mums and dads and uh, coming down for a, a good old-fashioned day out at the races. Well, absolutely. But one of the in- very interesting things is oh, I'm, I'm a sponsor of the Oxford University Motorsport Foundation. And these are all university students, and they're in, and they're studying uh, engineering at, at university at Oxford. And this has been going on for a number of years, maybe a decade now. Um, and these guys get together and they build and run historic race cars because they couldn't possibly get involved in modern motorsport. And we've had several sort of generations of uh, years of uh, young guys coming through that, building these race cars and maintaining them and running them and going out into the historic race world and and getting positions, um, engineering positions elsewhere in the industry. And it's surprising how well supported that is. That Oxford University um, oomph, as we oomph, call it, yeah, is, is yeah. good. Ding Boston with yes, that uh, with that Riley 1.5. I mean, he's become absolutely omnipresent in uh, in your type of racing over the years. Oh, absolutely. And um, and they've they've raced and they've rallied the car, haven't they? I think they've been to Barbados. Well, no, they, and... well they're they're it's it's a very slick operation now because they have they do have a Riley 1.5 rally car and a rally 1.5 race car they're not the same car. they also have an alpha and uh, they're building a midget um so it's really taken off and the the industry has now supported it in a big way um which takes a little bit of pressure off people like me yeah <laughs> um giving them free entries but um it's great to see that interest and why they've focused on older cars um to uh their enthusiasm to exactly it's a good opportunity to actually roll this back to how you became involved in uh, in motorsport or, or cars in general because um, we can see then the the building blocks of uh, uh, of this um, current organization so i mean were you brought up in a uh, in a motoring family well my father always um, had great uh, great cars i mean he was a very well-known photographer in the 50s and 60s and he did an awful lot of uh, media portraits. And so he had a lot of chums who were actors. Now, actors, a lot of famous film actors, but they're not, they weren't always employed. And my father used to benefit from um, a resting actor needing to sell his Aston Martin or his Alfa Romeo because he's a bit short of a few <laughs> bob. So we had, we had a lot of different cars, Sunbeam Tigers, 1750 Alfa, DB4, um, Series 5. Um, Sound rather opportunistic. This is rather well, good. it was rather good, yes. Um, the DB4 Series 5 with uh, the registration Pen 15, if you work that one out. Um, Mightier than the sword, apparently. Yes, indeed. Um, and um, we had great fun. We had 190 SLs. Um, uh, Robert Shaw came round with a brand new uh, DB6 Volante and said that he didn't like it. He'd only just bought it, and would we buy it? I begged my father to buy it for 1,800 quid, and he said, don't be stupid. (laughs) If only you could have put them all away and costed them. Um, And my father wasn't a racing man at all. I just got really interested in in that, and um, some friends of mine took me to Brown's Hatch in, I think, 68, and we, uh, 
I think we crawled under the fence as opposed to over the fence at Brown's Hatch. We certainly didn't pay to go in. And I saw my Good fence. on you. Um, I saw Run Baby Run. The oh, the, the Dave Brody uh, escort. Yeah, yeah. And um, what was weird about that, that race, in that race with Dave Brody, was the burpop. Oh yes, absolutely. The the, the Paul Berman um burr pop, yeah. Yeah, the the upright forward popular. Yeah. The, um, Paul Berman, Mike Berman. Oh Berman. Anyway, the, 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 the Burr Pop was an amazing thing. It was an E ninety three A yeah. uh Ford Popular um kind of shell. Yes. And it became more and more and more developed, didn't it? Yeah, and I, I remember great. Martin Selleck's driving it, yeah. the the mini racer. Yeah. Um, International Shoe Findings yeah. was the uh, was the sponsor, but it ended up uh, being built as a road car somewhere. I think, I think somebody built yeah. it into a hot rod or something like that. But I mean that, but that was my first taste of motorsport, and I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And um, I, you know, I really then sort of started. You know, I was reading motorsport under the desk at school, getting told off. You know. Um, how, how parallel our lives ran, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, reading all those ads and I, I went to a school in London as, uh, in Hammersmith at a school called Latimer and round the corner was tourist tuning uh, the famous mini tuners and of course that was they had all the cars out in the street in Ravenscourt Park Road so that was a bit of a mecca for you oh it's terrible <laughs> 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 and um, yeah so I I you know I really wanted to go go racing and um but I didn't go into historics at all. I went into production sports cars and saloon cars. Uh, hence the reference to uh, dear old Jerry. Yeah. And um, really did take it, you know, the school of hard knocks. It really was, you know, painfully obvious that those guys didn't give or take any quarter. Um, and it was very hard. And um, but we, But very early on, I did a will hard 24 hours. And I applied for um, a place on the tw- on the inaugural twenty four hours, and and they said, "What car have you got?" I said, "Got an MGB," and they said, "Oh, really? Is it still homologated?" And the MGB was still homologated, but they thought I was going to turn up in a new um, MGB LE rubber bumper car, and I turned up in a sixty seven Prod Sports car. Good for you. And um, they were very very annoyed. <laughs> But at the end of the day, I mean, you were there and... Well, we um, did it. We finished. Yeah. And, and you're running it, I guess, on an absolute shoestring. We didn't have any money at all. None whatsoever. Uh, mechanical we, aptitude? Very limited. But we managed. We had a, we had some good mates um, who were mechanics who all came down and helped us. And um, we were sponsored by Comma Oil, who delivered a pallet of Comma diesel oil and dropped it in the middle of the paddock. We were rarely... Very popular. No money changed hands. <laughs> and I managed to get some uh, tires off Kleber. And that was it. And we just, you know, we just went for it. And uh, I got my first prize money, 200 quid. Fantastic. Doesn't happen these days, does it? No, not but at all. No, nor does anyone expect it these days, which is, uh, which is fine. So um, you, you obviously raced yourself over a, over a number of years, but then began to take a, a bit more of a back seat um yeah, over that time so, yeah. because you couldn't afford to continue or you no, actually saw uh, no, that you I, could offer more uh, as an organizer um i realized that racing in your own series uh creates another dynamic of problems um one is i'm paying you to look after me and why are you racing 
well, I must be paying you paying you too much. There, there was that sort of uh, yeah, yeah. position that people thought, oh, hang on a minute, you know, why is he racing? It's the old salesman thing, isn't yeah. it? When, when the salesman in the 1980s pitches up uh, at one of his prospects in a brand new BMW M3, yes. uh, the person looks out of the window and thinks, I'm in a 316. Um, mm, what's he doing that I'm not? I'll take my custom elsewhere. Yeah, it was a little bit of that. Uh, not so much, but also the fact is that, you know, things happen at race meetings and you need somebody to make a decision. And if you're stepping into a car on a grid uh, and there is a problem, you can't deal with it properly. No, and you also find, because everyone wants you all of the time, yeah. you find yourself, one, not enjoying the, the, the driving aspect of it because you're always, your mind's elsewhere in a million places. And then you spread yourself very thin, don't you? Yes, and I, I learned that. I learned that lesson early on and I saw other promoters doing exactly the opposite and getting in trouble for it or getting themselves into situations they shouldn't really uh, get into. And I thought, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to be one or the other. Uh, I'll stay the promoter and I'll look after my customers and make sure that they're looked after properly and get the best out of their day's racing. So when were, when were you first um, promoting as such? Um, the I can't actually remember the date, but I did the first, uh, you might remember, I did the first one-hour touring car race at Silverstone. Um, and uh, somehow got a full grid. And everybody said you'll never get, you know, a historic full grid. That was the start of Top Hat Racing. And I managed to get a sponsor together and um, got a full grid of all sorts of cars, you know, uh, but all touring cars. And those days, Top Hat was the touring cars, and then there was Cloth Cap kind of followed, wasn't it, which yeah, was, was the, sports the sports cars. cars. Yeah, and then we did Oldies but Goldies, which was the older... Uh, touring cars and it de developed into a, a seven series um, carnival really and we started the uh, the uh, Donington Festival for instance um, and got that going and uh, you know really sort of paved the way because we were doing longer races that was our USP that we would do one hour races where most people are traveling or from all over the country to do a 15-minute race. And I couldn't ever, having done the Wilhar 24 hours, I could never see the point of turning up to do a 15-minute race. Um, if you're there, let's, you know, let's get some track time. I think sometimes preparing a car for a 15-minute race is, is relatively easy, but then you come to the Enduros and you, initially you start seeing quite a lot of cars break down early on. But it's a good way of engaging your your... Uh, your mechanic mates um, you can share the cost with uh, one or two other drivers or one or two mates who um, will come in and uh, and drive the car with you and that brings another dynamic to it doesn't it that that kind of air of of responsibility when you're out there representing a team not just yourself I mean if you you throw it off the track on 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 lap one of a one-hour race uh, and you do it of your own volition and you're the only driver that's one thing when you actually ruin your mates' days as well. because you're, you're not very popular. No, no, not at all. And it, what it did was it evoked this feeling of camaraderie. Yes. Um, and you'd get, you know, four or five guys, one, you know, maybe one guy was, you know, the team manager, and that's what he wanted to be. 
somebody else was you know a more the mechanic you know so you had your pit crew it worked really well and um i think when people embraced that idea we're going to be out there for an hour we've got to maybe just pull the car back a bit be there at the end and I remember several teams who who really got the idea and they were never at the front at the beginning and always at the front at the end. And it's all about pacing themselves, pacing themselves and, yeah. and being clever about it and not, you know, not ragging the car. And uh, that sort of produced um, a different form of historic racing. Um, it produced sort of reliable cars, um, not overdeveloped, which is a great, bet noir of mine I yeah hate it um these overdeveloped cars that ruin fabulous grids you know i mean for instance now you don't see bmw 1800s anywhere no no they're passe they're gone their development has reached a zenith and they've been overtaken yet again by lotus cortinas and yeah I think it's crazy. Yes, that sort of those battles between the BMWs, the Lotus Cortinas, and the Alphas—they all kind of enjoyed their heydays, and yes, then there was did. it just triggered another kind of um, spending war to yeah. uh, to make another mark better, and it was all counterproductive in the end because they've gone away from where they were. But well, I think I think that's what people have got to understand. This is a big thing about historic motor racing. It's going to kill historic motor racing we've seen a lot of modern teams who maybe have lost contracts in the modern world look over their shoulder and say hang on a minute we're very slick we're very professional and there's a lot of money in historic motor racing let's just let's just change direction and get yeah. involved in that and it they can't help themselves they want to develop the cars as though they were de developing a modern car yeah it's quite worrying really that sort of the, those sort of production saloon type cars that we talked about uh, and now those engines make 25 percent more power maybe more than uh, than that than they did in period and of course something else breaks down the chain because you can't keep every component we have to keep renewing don't you all the time you know well it's not not only that but um I've been berated for saying this, but it's quite true. We worked it out. I mean, if you and I got a Lotus Cortina each and nipped back in a TARDIS and plonked ourselves at Goodwood with Jim Clark and Graham Hill, we'd beat them. We'd beat that's, them that's, down. That's, and that's crazy, isn't it? With a modern one. It shouldn't happen, should it? But no, you... in our in our modern yeah, Lotus yeah. team. We we look at all those things though, and uh, you look at all the um the, the eras of racing across the across the first era of Goodwood and uh, you compare the times um back then to the times now. Um people understand suspension much better than they did. They optimize that, they probably uh do better at making their chassis uh, work the tyres more. Um, they've got more power, they've got stiffer cars, etc., etc., etc. And that's not historic racing, though. Yeah, it's theatre. also better at interpreting the rules. Yes. Because yes. if you look at the wheelbase on a Cortina, it's, it's in the... It's in a different place to where it was originally started. Interesting you say that. But um, you, going back to your top hat, top hat and cloth cap, that kind of went away after a while, didn't it? Why, why was that? Well... It was an interesting uh, situation. I ran Top Hat in, in my sort of 
caravan way you know um we had a jolly good time and i used you know i did have lovely old marquees that i had a deal with a marquee company that used to give me their second rate marquees but they were cheaper and we'd put on lots of grub and feed the paddock you know that was all great fun but not in a not in a corporate way in any way shape or form and then as the cars got more sophisticated the preparers came in we got a new we started getting a new type of driver in he had more money he he was introduced to the sport from another route i haven't got anything against that but there was a corporate feeling coming in and i realized i had to do something about it and i looked into it and i phoned up a great friend of mine and i said I think I might need one of these corporate HQs to, to, you know, to put on lunches and just, you know, have loos and stuff like that. And he said, got just the thing for you, Jules. And I said, well, well what's that? He said, I've got Ferraris, last year's Ferraris uh, paddock HQ. I said, really? I said, I can't afford that. Oh, he said, it's no problem. You can afford it. And it came with the transporter and the whole so i went down to see it it was fantastic so good trucking oh yeah but i mean it had bathrooms and loos and kitchens and everything and i said well how much is that and he said fifty-five thousand pounds and it actually wasn't a lot of money pro rise and i said well what do i have to do he said he, he said you have, you haven't thought it out jules have you he said you need 16 people for four days to run it <laughs> I went, ah. Plus a driver and a reserve driver yeah. when the taco runs out. And I thought, you know what? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even comfortable with the thought of corporate. That that corporate application is not me. And masters were around, and I knew Ron Maiden very well. And Ron's a great guy, and he's got a great vision, and he's. When he sees something, he goes for it. And he was taking over historic racing. There was no doubt about it that um, he was becoming the top dog and I was becoming a thorn in his side, if you like, uh, because I kept on chopping and changing and needling people to go into our races and stuff. And I was a competitor with him again. But not, not obviously, I wasn't fighting against Masters. But I could see that the market wanted something else. And um, so I just said, right, you know, I'm out. And um, Ron took over uh, Top Hat Racing, which was great. And he looked after them very well. And um, I had a sabbatical for three years. Um, and was I, that kind of a gardening leave sabbatical, or just sort of recharge your batteries? No, no. I mean, I, you know, obviously, if I if if Ron had taken over my business, um, which he did, um, um, you know, it, it's a normal thing. You know, you don't you don't compete. You don't go back and start something else up. And then um, I got a few preparers coming to me knocking on my door and saying, look, um, there's certain aspects that aren't being looked after. Mm. 
there was a fallout of cars and um, that weren't being catered for in this corporate world, um, which was a different price level. There's nothing wrong in that. Um, um, and they said, look, you know, these cars aren't running. They're just not racing. Would you do something about it? I said, oh, I don't really want to come back into it. Um, I always had a plan to do a 24-hour race. And that was sort of my my aim. And I was working along that with by starting the HRDC. And um, I had a sort of a delegate um, delegation come to me and they said, look, there's all these cars, they're all pre-60 cars and they are dead in the water. Would you do something about it? So I said, OK, I'll, I'll run a race, see what happens. And the thing exploded again. Le Mans Coupés are the only manufacturer that can produce both road and FIA HTP spec GT40s with GT40P chassis numbers. All cars are factory built to the original designs and our race cars are eligible for international competition. We also produce road and race Cobras and Corvette Grand Sports. Find iconic 60s sports and race cars at lemoncoupes.com. So, Julius, that, that takes us to 2010 yes. uh, and the birth of the Historic Racing Drivers Club, the HRDC, um, yes. as we refer to it. And uh, it's been a, a very interesting ride. It's, it's, it's hugely popular and it seems to go from strength to strength. It seems to, yeah. I mean, I think it's basically because I've gone right back to the roots again, uh, back to square one, um, and ensued the corporate side of it. Um, and it's it's really about people, like-minded people, meeting up on a certain day with their cars and going to have a great day's racing. Um, and that's it. It's not polished. Um, we don't do the corporate hospitality. We have a crazy caravan that... Um, gives out cakes and coffees and we have a sort of slightly mad prize giving and it's just a little bit irreverent um, and everybody seems to have a good time. So it's, it's, it's thrills, not frills. Exactly. That's our, that's our motto, thrills, not frills. And it, and it works so well. I mean, I, I have been to quite a few of these races over yeah. the years, but the one that absolutely stands out in my mind was, was Lydon Hill last year. I'd not been to Lydon since 1981. Who had? Uh, to, see, <laughs> well, to, see a, um, to see a Formula Ford race back in those days. But um, it was absolutely fantastic. And uh, the, the buzz in the paddock, the collector's cars coming in, uh, a, a really, really good turnout of people, which is a, a bit of a novelty these days sometimes at, uh, at club meetings. But it was different. And I think that is so, so important. People are inured if you like the, the, the even the, the hardened race fans to the same thing happening every three weeks at a circuit near them uh, because if the weather doesn't look very clever or they actually fancy going to the shops or it is they'll go and do that because there'll be another one along in a minute yeah. um it's it's sort of 
worrisome that kind of attitude rather like formula one formula one with 22 races in a year whatever that it's it ceases to be special but this was special this was bringing people back to um an old club racing hub um and and friends friends of mine went to to lydon for the first time when it was still grass but it wasn't until bill chesson developed it in kind of the early 60s into kind of the shape of the place we know kind of reversed brands hatch if you like um that uh, it began to um to take on its character it does have uh, a character all of its own you've got that wonderful amphitheater uh, where you can sit up on the bank, you can watch from your car if the weather's not so clever. You can sit on the bank if it's lovely, and um, it, it all—it's—it's it's, the action happens right in front of you. You can see ninety-five percent of the circuit from any one place. What's not to like? There's nothing not to like. Um, it's run by a very, very enthusiastic team, um, and they have put the money in at the right places. You know, there's new shower blocks, new loos, there's good food there. Um, it's just a nice place to be. And you you think, why hasn't anybody else discovered it? And we're very lucky that uh, Lydon came to us and said, look, would you, would you put a historic stamp on it? And we said, yeah, of course we will. Um, and everybody who's turned up, who's raced there, and who's come to watch the racing have just said, this is great. I this think it's brilliant when you when you go there and you see Mike and Andy Jordan, yeah. um, who've done it for real yeah. uh, there. Um, and Mike last year was reunited um, with the little Alfa Romeo that was his wife's father's road car yeah. uh, when she was a lass. Well, not only that, it, they they raced it. It was a race car in those days, um, and that's how he met his wife. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, um, his father was racing against him when Mike was. Uh, running his uh, road-going uh, Morris Minor race car. The Moggy Minor, yeah, yeah absolutely. Oh, it was fantastic, and the whole atmosphere just was was really special, um, yeah. uh, and that's great. So you're going back to Lydon um, this year. Yes, we are. And yeah. uh, that's going to be uh, really brilliant, see if you can build on uh, uh, what you achieved last. Well, we're hoping so, yeah. I think local community is really behind it. Um, And we want to sort of really make it a a day. It's the 4th of July. It's quite a good day to do it, I think. Um, The local... um, uh, The the locals will support it. They'll all come along, a bit like Castle Coombe. Yes, very much so. Um, And um, I think that we've got a lot of goodwill. You know, there's nobody complaining about the noise. Um, And I think we've got a few... Local lads, the uh, the Watts and the Swifts will be uh, out with their minis, giving it hell. Um, Absolutely right. Very entertaining. It, it's so so good, and um, you, you kick off uh, what is a a fine season. Um, what at Silverstone? Yeah, well, um, next month. Yeah, yeah Finnish Sports Car Club, Fabulous, and yeah. um, you'll have some big grids. Um, Hopefully, what are we going to see there? Uh, we at um, at Silverstone, we will have the uh, Coys 100 trophy with the uh, touring cars from 58 to 66, mixed field, um, 40 plus um, grid there. Um, we'll have the uh, HRDC All-Stars, which is the pre-66 sports GT and touring cars, which is basically the old all-comers. Yeah. Uh, you know, ideal. You kind um, of run form. what you brung. Yes. Yeah, very much so. If it's pre-66, you know, you can you can run it. 
uh, that's always um, popular. And, and that's course, kind of what they used to call mark sports back in the day, rather than mod sports. It was sort of very, very simple sort of road-going cars, yeah, well, by and large. Well, if you watch the old 50s BRSEC films, it, it was the all-comers you know the all -comers race which they had at the end of the day. Yeah, you know, Everybody yeah. sort of... Uh, and Bob Danvers Walker commentating on Pathé News. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, ding dong. And um, then we also, we've got the, uh, the new... Um, Alfa Romeo Challenge, which is very dear to my heart. That's come on really well, hasn't it? Yeah. We've just, we've just been wheedling out these Alfa Romeos that have been lying fallow. That um, Again, it's this thing about development, and the development hasn't been there. So these cars have dropped out of various championships and series. And I thought to myself, you know, I love Alphas. Oh, that's what I sort of my first car was and uh, I thought you know we really want to do something about this and people said no no I can't race these cars it's not developed it's the same car that I raced 15 years ago I said perfect yeah absolutely absolutely, absolutely. You know. it takes me back because um, I had two um, uh, Alpha Sud sprints oh uh, Alpha Sud TIs, in fact, yeah, they yeah, were um, as as company cars with Autosport, <laughs> and um, they were just brilliant, yeah. particularly on a cool, damp morning yeah. uh, when they used to go like rockets. Yeah. Absolutely superb, and I loved those uh, Suds, and uh, I have very, very fond memories uh, of them all round. Um, but some um, Alphas, as as a mark, it, it evokes uh, tremendous history yeah. um going back uh, to the to the pre-war uh, era of course with yeah. um uh with their with their grand prix cars etc um absolutely amazing well it is and we're we're taking the cars from the 750 the early 750 yeah. julietta series right up to the four cylinder 116 you know so we've gone from julietta to julietta yeah um, yeah and um and everything else in between. So you've got the GTAM types. We've got, funnily enough, we've got owners with real GTA causes coming in and going. Really, this is great. Yeah, it's, yeah. You know, they they feel safer within that environment. They're bringing out cars that are now worth three hundred k upwards. Yes, and running it in a club race, which we're quite honoured, really. I think they're just amazing. That that one oh five. Uh, shape uh, Alfa Romeo is just so timeless, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, very yeah. much. So. I'm surprised there's not actually a, a, a modern kind of take on uh, uh, on those. Well, I think there's a few. There's a few companies making outlaw cars now, and <laughs> doing you know, revisited, reimagined uh, versions. Um, but to be honest, the, the the standard car is damn near perfect as a classic car. I think. Absolutely brilliant, and there's and there's good entry level uh, classes within that um, Alfa Romeo series, isn't there? Yeah, Alpha very Challenge. much. So we're sort of um, championing the uh, the Alfetta GTVs, um, uh, which have sort of as classic cars have lay lay fallow for mm. quite a while. Mm. So they're not hugely expensive to get onto the track, and a lot of cars that were race cars have just reappearing so we've got two napolina cars coming in um at silverstone um in fact we've got four napolina two alpha suits and two gtv i remember john dooley racing those very cars so. back in the day yeah, yeah, yeah. great great character yeah. <laughs> very much so and of course you've got um uh, michael Lindsay 
coming along to a lot of these races overseeing uh, well, the Alpha as he's done for yeah. how do you stop about 50 years I should think yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he, he's so enthusiastic and it's great for us to have somebody there just to just he said, I'd like to commentate. And we just said, yeah. Fine, yeah, no, he's great fun doing that. It's yeah. absolutely brilliant. So apart from, the, uh, uh, apart from that, what is, what is kind of new on, uh, on your radar this year? Well, I think it's a difficult year, as you know. We've had the craziness of Brexit. Yeah. Um, and now we're dealing with... Other issues. Other issues. Um, and really, my... My reason d'etre is to keep things going. So it's a year of, of, of consolidation, right? Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, having said that, of course, you know, I put my hand up and uh, we're doing an Alfa Romeo race at the Silverstone Classic, which Nick Wigley phoned me up and said, look, you know, we've got Alfa Romeo. It's 110 years of Alfa Romeo. We've got Alfa Romeo coming to support us at the Silverstone Classic, which arguably is the world's largest historic race meeting. Mm -hmm. And he said, um, we'd like you to put on an Alfa Romeo race. And I went, oh, right, OK. So how are we going to fund this one then? Uh, well, yeah, and, you know, how do we fill 58 places on the grid? But we're yeah. going to give it a go. Why good, not? good, good, Why good. Not? So you're kicking off at Silverstone, and then you move on. Uh, where, where's next after that? Uh, well, we go to Donington. Yep, for Don the festival. Um, historic festival. Yeah, and um, luckily for us, um, I spoke to Duncan. Uh, it's a three-day meeting, of course, with qualifying on the Friday. And um, we're luckily running two races with qualification and the race on the Sunday. So we've got All-Stars and Coy's 100 Trophy, both 45-minute races on the Sunday, which is great. Um, I always, well, I, I started that meeting many years ago and I always try to support it as well as I can. Um, um, I love that, that, that meeting. It's and then fantastic. Thruxton. Yeah, Thruxton with historic promotions, Duncan uh, and his cohorts. Oh, um, yeah. That's a, a, a lovely, lovely meeting. Um, it's a place that people don't get to race often enough. Uh, on no, and uh, no, I remember racing there many, many years ago um, with Bill Nicholson. Yeah, or not um, in MGBs, and um, it's great. And of course, it is one of those restricted circuits. It doesn't have a lot of race days, um, and um, I think it's just a super opportunity to go to a, ra a you know a race circuit that you just don't get that privilege of racing at, and the fastest fastest track in the country. Slightly daunting, yes. Yeah. But, you know, our cars seem to go around there really well. And we have um, some, you know, fantastic uh, race. We've had some fantastic races there, so it's a good one. Yeah. If you can bring some weather, it'd be uh, really appreciated because there's well, a lot happening there. Yeah, and yeah. Um, the, the BARC, which is HQ, is Thruxton, uh, yeah. has got one or two ideas up its sleeve as well. I think we're going to see a... Uh, a nice little celebration of 40 years of um, the Tolman Formula 2 team uh, there. And yeah, um, yeah. we're hoping that Brian Henson and Derek Warwick are going to come along. There's going to be a, one of the original team cars there demonstrated. Yeah. And um, I remember that being launched uh, at Goodwood um, yes. in 1980. Yeah, yeah. And we were there um, at the HRDC test day uh, last uh, week 
yeah. uh, the first of two, uh, where we saw one or two uh, new contenders coming out and being shaken down, which was great. Well, I'm going to bring uh, we're going to bring Rupert Keegan along because, of course, he's the bet noir of uh, Thruxton, as you know. And... <laughs> <laughs> I was there. Yeah. I was there the day in 1976. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there <laughs> with him. Yeah, um, great, uh, great. Great character, um, but yeah, Thruxton's great. And then we uh, we will move on. We'll have Lydon, of course. Yep, Lydon in July, uh, which we've discussed, and then we've got this this Alfa Romeo race at the Silverstone Classic, which yes. has moved into uh, August this uh, year, unusually. Yes, um, and um, there is, as you know, there's an awful lot of motorsport on, and uh, picking the time now is very very important and we basically uh don't race from july to september we we go back into uh castle coombe in october simply because i think there's just too much content and so we take a bit of a sabbatical well that encapsulates uh the 10th anniversary season it's actually the 11th year of racing but 10th anniversary season of the hrdc um it's been a great pleasure and privilege to be here at uh, the nerve center uh, <laughs> of the uh, uh, of the organization with its founder julius thurgood um who's one of us absolute enthusiast absolutely to the core uh, and uh, i think that's uh, very laudable well that's uh, that's the end of today's uh, episode the Marcus Pie Podcast at historicracingnews.com. This episode brought to you by Le Mans Coupes. Visit lemoncoupes.com to see the range of iconic sports and race cars manufactured to the original designs of the 1960s. 